episode of the Over and Stumps Cricket Podcast live on the Inner Sanctum Network. I'm Jono and as I am every week, I'm joined down the Zoom line by Rory Dennis in the great city of Canberra. Rory, nice to see you, mate. You're in a different room today. Yeah, that's right. Coming to you from the living room today, usually in the office. But uh, yeah, as I said, that end of the house is a bit busy. So we're just going to we're gonna play it by ear. It's a bit different. I've got a brick wall in the background this time. So just something a bit different for you guys to look at. And looking in the background, we can see your um, kitchen. It looks like you had a nice big um, hot pot and a nice big comfort food for dinner. So it's, it's I, think, I, think, I, I think Canberra's still like not realising that it's spring turning into summer yet. Yeah, that's probably fair, John. I think it's also fair that I just probably haven't put the dishes away. <laughs> yeah. It's probably more and more what it is, I think. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And well, he's back this week and he's found himself in the middle of his 14 days isolation has been at a tier one exposure site sean mortal how are you doing and how did you get caught up in that mess um i'm fortunate people working in the car park with me at bunnings have uh, managed to just i don't know if they've given a little cough in my direction or something but that's meant that i've had uh, multiple tests you know the great people victoria getting tested in droves they're first thing this morning with full lines grumpy people horns blaring so loving life as always um but it's just i think it's helped me with my technique i think the 14 days you know with a mini bat in in the house i think it's been good to really shore up my defense while so I'm i was gonna, so I was gonna so i was gonna ask you how have you been able to um fix your skills in 14 days isolation i'm guessing you've only been in your bedroom or locked in your bedroom how have you been how have you been going at your skills has it been like a little tennis ball at the wall or it's been a bit of mental delirium, I think. It's been a bit more of an upstairs game. Um, I mean, I was in a press conference yesterday with Ashton Agar, and a lot of it was about the mind games and getting your mindset for the 2020 World Cup, which I can't say I'm competing in that. It's just going to be local season. But I'm, I, I've come out of it feeling pretty confident now that my technique will hold up against the best bowlers. Whether it actually will, um, hard to tell. But other than that, it's just been doing some fielding practice with the puppy dog, um, you know, just getting some ground balls in, maybe the occasional sky catch. But poor old Ruby the sausage dog isn't the best one at high balls yet. So I was showing her up a bit. Have you been using your wall as your um, as a net, as a springing net to um, catch off like Maitland Brown did in Hotel Quarantine? I saw that and I was tempted. Look, there's there's been some times where, you know, you're probably almost walking in circles at the bottom section of the house and you just will bounce a ball off and catch it again. So I don't think it's been the full-blown TikToking that Maitland Brown showed us, but it's definitely given me some inspiration. It's probably the first of a couple of mentions that Maitland might get on this podcast. Um, gents, we do have a lot to get through today. Of course, the Ashes are on. We have a series to wrap up. We've got some T20 World Cup to preview. We've even got a chat with Tasmanian batter Charlie Wakeham, which one of our um, writers at the Inner Sanctum, Liam O'Brien, had during the week. So we'll be able to bring a little bit of that to you later on in the show. But Boys, I guess the biggest news out of this week is that not like they were ever really off, but the Ashes are on. The POMs have, or the ECB have issued a statement to say that they plan on touring Australia, again, subject to um, strict conditions being met. It sounds like they will be met. And Nick Hockley and the powers that be in Australia have done a tremendous job talking to Joe Root and the ECB to 
get this series off the ground and it sounds like they're coming and they're coming in numbers. So it's great to see the England team coming out in their numbers and they've picked, I'd say they've picked a pretty strong squad. There weren't really any surprises in the squad in terms of the 17 that they did pick. A couple of notable omissions in um, Jofra Archer and Ben Stokes, who is still recovering from a finger injury and some and his mental health break. But otherwise, everyone that you'd expected to be on the Ashes tour is going to be getting on the plane. There, there weren't too many like real, real excitements or surprises in the squad, Sean. It was very, dare I say, it's stock standard England squad, which is a decent squad. But will it be enough for them to bring home the urn? Well, it was. It was very pedestrian, almost. Safe was the word I think I initially thought when I saw it is that, you know, they've gone back to Broad and Anderson, which again, they're going to be relying on them in Australian conditions with their experience. I mean, other than that, you've really got only it's sort of an Ollie Robinson and a Mark Wood around that, that it's going to add anything different that Australia might not have seen too much of before, more so with Robinson, less so with Wood, because Wood's been around for a while. But yeah, it just seemed very similar to what they brought out last time in a way in that they haven't gone for anything different and exciting there's there's no sort of you know left field picks and I mean it's I think it's going to hold up somewhat in Australian conditions but as India showed last year to win you need those point of differences you need you need those people who are going to come out and take a game away from Australia both with bat or ball and I just don't know whether England have that despite being solid I don't know if they've got a match winning squad is what I originally thought I don't know about both of you but it just it was something expected, but it didn't blow me away. Yeah, I'm with you there, Sean. It's uh, it, very safe is kind of the way I'd put that that squad. There was no really uh, interesting picks. Everyone that you thought would be picked was picked, and they didn't add anyone else in. Like I would have gone for uh, Matt Parkinson as a as an extra spinner, just because I think the leg spinner in Australia is probably probably the best way to go if you're looking to take wickets. And yeah, I don't I don't think they can rely on James Anderson and Stuart Broad forever. And like James Anderson has been averaging 200 in the second innings over the last couple of years with the ball. So, yeah, I'm not sure where the wickets are going to come from for, for them. And yeah, Joe Root's going to need a very big series with the bat because that batting lineup does not look strong at all. Well, you mentioned with the batting and it's, it's, Bur- it's Burns and Hamid at the top of the order. Joe Root will probably slot in in his favourable number four position. He might have to turn into a um, Don Bradman if they are to win it. Um, Barmiyami's been bandying around a few funny stats this week, which is you know, it's all part of the Ashes banter, but it's probably a bit um, silly to compare uh, one of the one of England's England's greatest batsmen to um, an Australian wicketkeeper who bats at number seven and had the best years of his career taken away from him through injury. So it is a little bit funny. You speak about those batting spots, Sean. Oh, look, I still think Joss Butler's a good enough batter at any level to be able to come in at six or seven and take the game away from an opposition. He hasn't yet done that at test level on a consistent basis is done it a couple of times I think back to um Manchester last year in that test against Pakistan where he did it he missed um majority of this summer this test match summer but he has shown that he has the ability to do it whether or not he has a couple of friends that go with him Ollie Pope shown he's more than capable of holding the stick in the middle order but has he done it for long enough and can he do it in Australian conditions against the pace of 
Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, and um, James Pattinson is going to get picked in the in the squad. So I agree. I would have liked to see a couple more points of difference. Um, look, even just spice it up a little bit. Pick Darren Stevens, the 45-year-old who can absolutely whack a ball and bowl some medium pace, the real big wild card point of difference. Pick Liam Livingston, who can who's been absolutely smashing it in all the domestic competitions around the world, is going to have a massive say in probably taking England deep in that T20 World Cup tournament, which is coming up in about a week's time, maybe pick him as a point of difference and to try something new. I just, I think it's a very, as, as you guys have said, it's a very safe squad from England, which on their day, no doubt, they've proved that they're capable. They showed that against India in the most recent English summer. But I think it might take a little bit extra for them to come and knock off Australia on these shores. And I just think, I mean, even looking at it, I just don't think they have much room for wiggling if you know a couple struggle like you know they've they've gone and brought Hamid over instead of Sibley and it just makes me think what happens if he fails they're basing it off two or three tests and then I mean it's a great point Jono about Butler I think they're putting a lot on him now probably is the second most experienced around there to root along with probably someone like Burns but they're putting a lot on probably two or three pillars especially without Stokes there and then it means the ones that fill out around them whether it's a Zach Crawley and Ollie Pope or Dan Lawrence there's a lot that's put on them and it just makes me think that you know if you're Australia you'd feel comfortable going into the series especially the bowling unit because you've seen it all before at international level and you know what they can bring and you know what you can do to get them out um, for relatively little so I just, yeah, I agree. Someone like Liam Livingston, which England might be a bit scarred by the Jason Roy experiment and don't want to see a repeat of that. But I just I just don't know why they haven't thought outside the box and even just brought some more reinforcements. It just makes me think that they expect their seven or eight batters that they brought will get the job done without question and haven't really thought of a plan B. Yeah, that's right. And on that reinforcements, there has been talk of like a Lions tour coming out at the same time, but I'm not sure with COVID if that's if that's going to be a possibility at all. Well, um, supposedly naming the Lions squad in the next week, so that'll yeah. be a decision made pretty quickly. It'll um, be in- interesting to see whether that that does go ahead. And I think the, the good news for England there on that uh, reinforcements is there's going to be a going to be plenty of English players in the big uh, big bash this year, so they'll be around in Australia if they're required. Yeah, certainly plenty of cricket to look forward to in Australia this year, particularly with the Ashes coming up. And as we've said, Nick Hockley and Cricket Australia have done a fantastic job in getting state governments seemingly on the same page. Still remains to be seen if we're actually going to get all the games in as scheduled. Nick Hockley, um, Chief Executive of Cricket Australia, seems confident that it will go ahead as scheduled. But with the COVID overlay still in Australia, anything is possible um, that Perth test is still very much up in the air at the moment as much as Cricket Australia want it to happen and as much as probably WA wants a Perth test to happen, but they might want to try and rejig the order a little bit. So we wait and see on all of that. But for the hero now, it's great to know that they're coming. The series is going to be on. We'll be covering it here on the Over and Stumps podcast and on the Inner Sanctum where there'll be plenty of great cricket coverage throughout the summer. So as we shift from the series that will be coming and we are very excited about to one that has just wrapped up the last um, 
this last week on the Gold Coast. Unfortunately, it was again hampered by weather, but Australia wrapped up the multi-format series. They ended up finishing it. 11 points to five, Sean, but it was certainly flattering. Um, India definitely took it right up to them and it just showed that it's, I think it's probably just a win for women's cricket all around, that it's not just Australia just beating and dominating everyone, that there are teams out there now that can take it right up to them. But you're certainly onto something there. I think 11 to five does not sum up what India were able to do. And I think it's the first time we've really seen a team come to Australia and take on the Southern Stars in probably the last five, even 10 years and be so consistently challenging to, you know, Australia's almost regime of what they had of skill in there. I mean, I've never seen Australia's top order probably look as flimsy or consistently able to break through as they were. Um, and then with the bowling, I know, Obviously, missing Jonathan and missing Megan Shute is a massive sort of out for the Australian bowling attack. But the likes of Smriti Mandana were terrific in these conditions. And, yeah, I think the fact that the series was able to go ahead and to get it done in Queensland in what turned out to be a nice setting despite the rain is a big win for women's cricket. But I think now India has stuck their heads out as the clear number two and the next sort of with a lot of merging players coming through like Shivali Verma, they're the next sort of clear emerging prospect to maybe you know take that world domination once Australia's golden period ends but for now they're definitely ahead of England and New Zealand as that clear number two force yeah that's right the the Indians are those, those young up-and-coming Indian players are definitely like a step ahead of uh, previous generations it definitely puts India in a good step for for the 2023 World Cup and then going ahead um from there the the series was it that close like australia australia won that pretty convincingly really towards the end those last few 2020s were, were pretty convincing i think and look, as india they did well they did especially the start of the series in those one, one day games but australia just proved with a depleted squad i guess you could say that a, they're just a streets ahead really well, I think that was the most impressive thing from an Australian point of view. And as Beth Mooney said in the aftermath of the last, ma- last match, I wouldn't want to be the coaching staff of the selection panel having to pick that Ashes squad um, in January, February, because Australia's depth really shone through with the bat and particularly with the ball, you know, try try dislodging Talia McGrath in that middle order when um, Rachel Haynes is fitting firing and Jess Johnson is fitting firing. Um, she's really cemented her spot in that national team now in the middle order. And even with the ball, with the pace depth shining through and with, okay, shoot was missing, but Annabelle Sutherland proved that she could go at the level. Darcy Brown copped some tap in the test match and missed out on the um T20 matches, but she's proved that she definitely has what it takes at the international level. Stella Campbell, Hannah Darlington, all these young, fresh paces who are able to come in and do a job for their country, both with the ball in hand and in the field. So it's very exciting for Australia that they can have a series against the world's best like India, pick their depth players and their young players for tomorrow and still get the job done. Like, yeah, they're propped up by the old firm in um, Healy, Mooney, um, Elise Perry found form towards the back end of the um, the series. I'm going to ask you a question about that in a second, Rory. But it's really, I think it's really reassuring and particularly now coming into the WBBL, it's very it's a strong place for Australian women's cricket to be in that they can rely on these younger players and 
they're going to uncover more and more in the WBBL and the WNCL season coming up this summer. Rory, we noted Elise Berry. She got better as the series went on. Your call about her not bowling, well, it seemed to come home to roost a little bit, particularly in those last two 2020. It's only bowled the one over in the last two games. Do you think Meg Lanning has listened to you or do you think this is about load management? Uh, it could be. Uh, I'm sure she didn't listen to me. I'm sure, sure there's uh, more experienced people that make those decisions, but um, it's probably load management to agree. I, I don't think she's properly done with the bowling, Elise Perry, but I, I would have her done with the bowling. Um, it makes her, makes her batting much better. It gives her extra time to practice on that. And who knows, that average could could hit 100 in test matches if she if she gives up the bowling. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have her still still give up the bowling. Um, yeah, she bowled well in the test match, but, yeah, it's, she's definitely not one of the preferred bowlers in the in the shorter formats, it seems. Well, Sean, you wrote something interesting, particularly in the um, Talking Points article, and it's been a question that's been picked up a lot now in the um, general chatter around the women's um, cricket team is that, I know it's a good thing to have many options, but is it really a good thing for Meg Lanning to have too many options, particularly when it comes to the bowling innings? Well, that's what I thought. And I think it started in the test match when eight of the 11 players there ended up getting a bowl. And most of them were getting around five overs, even 10 overs max at a time, except for, you know, the spinners that they've had in, especially when the likes of Ash Gardner bowled so beautifully um, on that on those first two days. But I just thought it was almost too much where you're bringing in someone like Georgia Wareham to make her test debut, you know, get the baggy green. And then she doesn't bowl till day two, 40 overs in and gets five overs. It's, I don't know, just part of me thought that, well, first of all, it's unfair on the, the bowlers you're bringing in and they're not getting enough of a go. When you think you're coming in to be a bowler in a test match, you're going to get a good bit of opportunity to really settle in and to show your wares. And I think that was a little disappointing to see that you've got so many young players coming in and getting a go. But then when push came to shove, you know, people like Perry and all that were given the new rock and given more chances. And and I, I just thought also for someone like Lanning, it's unfair as a captain to have so many options as well because you're almost trying to throw the ball around too much instead of persisting. And a lot of the time in test matches, you see a lot of the best moments for a bowling and fielding team happen when you persist for long enough and be patient. Whereas with that, it probably forced Lanning to be a bit impatient and to throw the ball around when, all right, something isn't working for four overs, let's give it to someone else. Just because you have so many options there that you feel compelled and I think that's probably the one thing that happened in the 2020 as well, when someone like Elise Perry bowled one over three runs and then, you know, didn't see the, the ball again because she's not notably known for bowling well at the death, but she's probably the most economic on the side. I just find it really interesting and probably something that I hope Australia work with to get right for the Ashes because it's the one thing that let them down with the bowling unit and probably why India managed to flourish is because when you've got someone bowling well, you know, they've only got four or five overs. And then if they're not getting a wicket, the ball has to be thrown around just because you've got so much good talent in that side. So yeah, it's the, probably the one criticism I have about how Australia went about that series. Yeah. I'm in agreement somewhat. I think if you're going to pick a leg spinner, particularly in the side in a test match, I think, Definitely, definitely use a leg spin. It's an attacking wicket-taking option. And I think Meg Lanning, obviously rain and overhead conditions on that first day are probably not inclined to bowl the leg spinner, but particularly when you've got a ball that's about 
30 something overs old, tossed the ball to the leg spinner and back her in to um, give you a, give you a chance. Look, I, I agree somewhat. I think it's great to have so many options, but at the same time, I think, Brad Hodge was saying it on the commentary. You can get into that mindset of just like, well, A, I have to give everyone a go, a little bit like park cricket, and B, you can almost say like, you can almost run into a run into the problem where it's, um, well, keep going through everyone until I find something that works instead of as you articulated pretty well there, Sean, just um, keep waiting it out and writing writing it out and just hot, like waiting for the plan to come together, particularly if it's um, working and the, the bowling has been tight and just waiting that extra over or two more to hopefully bring about a wicket. So we move on. We move on to the WBBL. There's going to be a fantastic... It's going to be a fantastic tournament um, starting in Tassie before it goes around the country. Plenty of um, international flavour flavor in this year's tournament, plenty of Indian flavour. Um, just very, very quickly before we go around, based on all the squads, and of course cricket is that funny game, but based on just looking at the squads and who's got the best team, who are your picks to win and who are your picks to be leading run scorer and leading wicket taker? Yeah, for me, like it's it's always hard to go past the sixes in the in the WBBL. That team is absolutely stacked, isn't it? Well, Elise Perry and Alyssa Healy really, really make that team, don't they? So, uh, yeah, that's the, they're the favourites for me in terms of the the highest run score in the tournament. I'm going to go with uh, the Perth Scorchers batter Sophie Devine. Um, she she was leading run scorer last year, and I don't see any reason why she she won't do that again. Although I think Beth Mooney is probably a good shout as well. Um, she's yeah, that top order at the Scorchers is is very, very strong. Um, with the bowl, I'm not 100 percent sure with the bowl really. I think uh, yeah, Darcy Brown's come a long way and she might surprise a few people and and uh, dominate this tournament, I think. Yeah, I like that. And I'm I mean, I'm similar with the Sixers. I think now they've also got Shafali Verma added in. They're mm. I think that's best top four you're gonna get in WBBL history, just I mean, with her and then you've got Healy, you've got such a dynamic opening pair who are going to take games away from the opposition with the click of a finger. And then, you know, it only, it only gets better when you've got the likes of Perry and Gardner. Um, from the Sixers, I think someone like Estella Campbell is set to have a really big, big bash. I think someone with a bit of pace and a bit of heat. Someone like a Taylor Fleming as well. But I don't know, something about Estella Campbell gives me the vibe that especially if there's big targets that are going to be set by a teammate, she's going to have a really good paddock to launch and just attack and without any fear or abandon of what she goes for, economy rise, she, I think she might rip through some attacks. But for the batting, um, I find it interesting. I think someone like a Beth Mooney is another good call, but I also like the look of Dupree down, down at Hobart. I'm interested to see what she's going to bring to that Hobart lineup after being so valuable at the Stars. And, I mean... Overall, I think the challenge of sixes, I'm looking at the Perth and the two Melbourne teams. I think the Stars won't just go away with the class they have, but the Renegades with some good pickups are also going to be very good challenges, I think, with such a strong batting lineup. Yeah, I like that call. I think as, as much as I like the Melbourne Stars and they've got the quality, I think they're going to really feel the loss of their um, international um imports from last year um nat siver who's the best all-rounder in the world at the moment um best female all-rounder in the world at the moment isn't coming Catherine brunt's not coming and as you just said mignon dupree has gone down to the hobart hurricanes i actually really like the hurricanes i think they've built a 
really good squad. They've Rachel Trenman's gone over, Dupree's gone over, Taylor Lamick's back this year this year and bowling really quickly, as we've seen in the in the um T20 series. And they've also got Belinda Vakawira coming back from injury, Nicola Carey. So they've sneakily put a good squad together. And they've also got um the spin queen Molly Strano, who's come across from the Renegade. So I think as as you as you guys have said, the sixes are stacked, but I think the Hurricanes are going to be my dark horse in terms of winning winning the competition this year. It'd be great to see them come forward. I think uh, I definitely think that they're going to be good. I'm, I'm actually backing Mignon in to be leading run scorer after a best season last year, and I think in terms of most wickets, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a big summer for the new renegade skipper, Sophie Molyneux. I think she's gonna be she's gonna to have to take a bag of wickets for the gates, and I think she's more than capable of doing that. So we're excited for the competition to kick off. It all starts on the 14th of October, which we're recording this podcast on a Wednesday, which means it all kicks off tomorrow in the lovely city of Hobart. So we look forward to watching that unfold. It's now time for this. Now that's the funniest thing I've seen for a long time. Now how many of you picked this up? I can't believe it and he can't either. So this might go in a couple of different directions today. I'm sorry. What I'm kind of um, looking at the rundown, I'm kind of nervous, but I'm also kind of excited because there are a few messages that I think we desperately want to get across. So um, I, I might start with um, you, Sean. Um, Australian coach, um, hotel quarantine does a lot of things to a lot of people, but I think it's bringing out a side in the Australian coach that I, I don't think many saw coming. <laughs> Agreed. And I mean, part of me can sympathise with this having been stuck in a bit of cabin fever. Um, I, I don't blame him for getting inspirational, but to take it down on LinkedIn is an interesting one from an Australian career coach in Justin Langer, who the other day has come out with a very long paragraph of motivational, pretty much jargon, I think is the word I would use. You know, it's something about a wise man once said, don't give them a taste of your own medicine. And it just continues. It makes me think that he was the coach of Rocky or something, um, the way he's going on about it. And, it's just a lot of in-depth, I don't know, a bit of a rant. It, it, it goes to it goes to um, caps in the, at the end when it's be yourself, you are unique and you are special. Um, I mean, I, I think we've all expected that Langer is a bit off the beaten track. He definitely marches to the beat of his own drum. But to take this out on LinkedIn is an interesting one. And originally I saw his post on LinkedIn thinking, please don't tell me he's offering his services. And that's the way he's announcing that he's been let go. Um, especially before on Ashes Summer. That's a bit Mickey Arthur of him. Um, but then also just seeing it, I mean, what do you guys think? I saw it and went, okay, fair enough. Put that up in the walls of the change room. Do whatever you need. I don't know if the Australian cricketers will buy it, but to put it on LinkedIn is a very interesting way of getting your really inner thoughts out there, I think. Yeah, that's right. I don't think the Australian cricketers are buying a lot of what Justin Langer says. And I think that's probably, that speech is probably part of it as well. Um yeah, he's, a, he's definitely a, a weird guy, isn't he? And to use LinkedIn for that kind of thing is a bit different. Um, yeah, that's usually where you'd go to apply for an accounting job, right? And you're, you're all over LinkedIn posting inspirational quotes. Or maybe, or maybe Justin Langer's foreshadowing something that might come if he doesn't have a good summer. 
Maybe. And I mean, my next question was, it made me think, what's the weirdest thing I've posted on LinkedIn? And I can't really think of anything I've posted. Nonetheless, have you guys ever taken to LinkedIn to do a full status update like that? It was very Facebooky of him, very 2013. Mark Zuckerberg's just started this out. You're just getting on board after school type vibe where you just want to inspire the the 20 friends you have, not a LinkedIn from the head coach of Australian cricket. I reckon I've done one post like that on LinkedIn, which is um, start of the pandemic, just sort of like, oh, these are some observations of working from home. You know, the grass is green, the pool water is blue. Um, I can have as many coffee breaks as I want because I'm working five steps away from my coffee machine. Um, and it's great to have a, um, it's great to have a desk partner with my four-legged friend who just um, sticks her, um, sticks a beacon to me whenever she wants to play and interrupt me from work. So that's, that was probably the crux of it. Um, but no, aside from that, I don't, I don't think I've posted anything of, of that like on LinkedIn, but it did certainly raise a few eyebrows when that came across my screen and my screens when I was scrolling through LinkedIn and everything. So certainly one to watch. And I think next time Justin Langer gets um, put put toward puts up for the press. I think the first question that might be asked uh, of him, Sean, would be like, what did a wise man once tell you? Well, I think so. I think it has to be the lead slogan. And even I was going to ask on your LinkedIn little piece there, I like a little bit of pandemic positivity, but I thought, I don't know if you would have been leaving with some caps locks about be yourself and what a wise man once said. I think that's a whole next level of real spiritual enlightenment that he's trying to get on these Australian cricketers. Obviously he's banned from the WhatsApp group is what I thought if he's putting that on LinkedIn. Maybe that's his plea to get back in. <laughs> I don't know if it would work. I couldn't imagine the likes of a Stark or a Cummins really going for a be yourself. I think I think they I think they're pretty watertight in the old mental health space. I don't think they need Langer from who knows in the final throes of his career potentially spouting that type of genius stuff. It's always been a little bit um, different the Australian cricket coach, and it led him to having the career he had for Australia. And look. He's still got time to turn his coaching um, around. We'd still back him in as the guy who's leading us at the World Cup and hopefully he can do that and come home and win the Ashes again at home. It would be fantastic for him and fantastic for Australia Australian cricket. Um, Rory, away, still in the UAE, um, IPL's continuing to go on and this tournament's just getting a bit more ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely it's gone to another level this week. Uh, yeah, the finals are, are heating up and everything's um, yeah gone to that next level. On field for this, uh, I'm sorry, what, which is uh, a little bit different, I guess. Um, Sunil Narayan. Now we, we all love Sunil Narayan. He's a he's a, looks a bit different, sounds a bit different, just does everything a little bit different in the game. And he uh, he had an, a ridiculous match in the in the eliminator against uh, Glenn Maxwell's RCB the other day and. One part of it is he he smashed a three sixes in a row off the bowling of Dan Christian. I think John is going to touch on that in a minute. But he uh, the the third of those sixes was a was straight down the ground, beautiful hit. I think it went eighty eight meters, which is it's yeah that's quite a hit further than anything. What ground was he playing at? Uh, Sharjah. Oh, okay, so eighty eight meters isn't that is it's not that impressive on a ground like Sharjah, but to do it one handed, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so one handed, so it was straight down the ground and. Yeah, one hand off the bat the whole time, and it was just the top hand as well, which I, it's just incredible strength to be able to to be able to smash the ball 
that far down the ground. But the thing I wanted to, to put to you guys is why is Sunderland not in the West Indies World Cup squad? He's a he's a ridiculous bowler and he obviously can more than hold a bat. So what are the West Indies thinking there? Well, it's it's a question that I can't answer because it's got a lot to do with um politics and money. But I think you've seen, particularly in recent years, with the way that Kyron Pollard's been able to get that squad together and that West Indies white ball set up together, that they might be able to get someone like a son on the Rhine back playing. I don't know. We've seen um the likes of Fiddle Edwards and Dwayne Bravo come out of retirement to come and play. And Chris Gale's still going and is in well into his 40s now, which it might be his last tournament. But they if you bet, but if you've been able to get those T20 Globetrotters back, maybe you were a chance to get someone like a son on the Rhine back in the national setup. But he's been great. He's been great fun. He's come out to Australia a couple of times. I remember, I remember going to a Melbourne Derby at the uh, Melbourne BBL Derby at the MCG and he walked out to open the batting with Aaron Finch and he was just absolutely smacking them everywhere so he's got a lot of ability Son Elmerine is one of the most exciting cricketers to watch and is able to do many many things yeah he's a, a rare talent and just watching him and showing his wares in the IPL seeing someone who's against the best of them able to clearly clearly almost look like a class above it sometimes maybe just wonder i know there's a lot going on behind the scenes of the west indies as you alluded to Jono. but how are you letting a talent like that slip in a 2020 world cup when you know in those conditions what he's done against the best in the ipl what more could he do and then at that international type of tournament i just i'm i'm sad that we're going to miss out on seeing what someone like he could do when he's united with the likes of pollard and gale and bravo yeah, that's right. And I think if Narayan was in that squad, they'd, the West Indies would definitely be going in as favourites. So, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I don't know. Maybe the West Indies cricket board knows something that we don't. Well, it'd be great if they could get him back in Maroon for the last few, I guess, the last few years of his um, international career. I don't actually know how old Son Maroon is at the moment, but he'd be able to um, still put in a gr- few great performances in the Maroon and he'd definitely be handy for them to go back-to-back in T20 World Cups. Um, So I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach, boys. This segment's usually about having a bit of a laugh and trying to point something out that might have tickled our fancy um, during this week in the world of cricket and just made us go, well, that's nuts. But something did make me go, that's nuts, and do a double take, I'm sorry, this week. Um, You alluded to the game before, um, Rory, um, the KKR versus... um, RCB, the eliminator match in the IPL. And RCB's got a bit of a stacked team. And it's kind of a wonder. It's kind of a wonder as to why they haven't actually won any tournaments with the team that they've had. And possessing the Australian favorites in Glenn Maxwell and Dan Christian. Now, Dan Christian didn't have a great game, got taken to the cleaners by um Sunil Narine and 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 as such was one of the reasons as to why. KKR won and ICB lost, but the abuse that has been heading not only these boys' way, but to the partners of both Dan and Glenn is absolutely vitriolic, disgusting, shameful, and shambolic. 
And we talk about it a lot as a society that we have to get better and you can't just do that type of thing to an athlete. And it's not just cricket. It's not just Indian fans. I'm not stereotyping here. It's across every sport, every code around the world. There are some vile people on social media and it's just not okay to be sending that, let alone to an athlete, but to an athlete's partner who's had absolutely nothing to do with the game. I was absolutely shocked and saddened when I log on to my um, Instagram account. I see Dan Christians put up a story saying like, fair enough, I played a bad game, but leave my partner out of this. And some of the comments were absolutely gross. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, that's right. I was... Um... Yeah, I was covering that game. I was watching that game and I was on Twitter at the time. And that's uh, yes, the language and just uh, some of it was some of the worst things you're ever going to read in your life. So, yeah, if anyone that's listening to this um, took part in any of that, I think just, yeah, pull your head in because, um, yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. And Dan Christian doesn't deserve that. He's been playing at the top level for 20 years. He's one of the best of the T20 games ever seen. And, yeah, it was um, was just disgusting really it's hmm. saddening to read um makes you sick i think yeah and sports sports passionate like we're all sports fans we all really get around our teams and we're all disappointed when they lose but particularly if anyone's learned anything in the last 18 months in the world it's the real need to be nice and be kind to people and unfortunately two major international sporting events this year have really reared its ugly head when it comes to um vitriol on social media whether it be um racially or just like disgusting and abusive yeah it's horrible and i mean i think it surprised me most seeing happen to someone like dan christian who's i mean from what i experienced i don't know if you guys know any different but pretty well loved globally for what he's been able to do in these tournaments all around the world i don't really hear a bad word spoken about him but then to hear you know something like that come out not just to him but to his partner i mean it's you're right, it's heartbreaking, it's horrible, it's disgusting. It makes me both angry, but just really saddened for him and his family and for Maxwell and for everyone involved. But it also just makes you feel a bit hopeless. So when's this going to stop? When's the message going to get through that you can't take the social media and do this to people, regardless of whether, you know, you know that, that your side's lost a game or whether they've missed out on a bet for you or something? This, none of it's a good excuse and it never has been and it's never going to be going forward. So... I just hope that the message gets through soon enough. We all do. We all do. So I think that's where we'll leave this segment. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have one of our own, Liam O'Brien, talking with Charlie Wakem. Okay, joining us this week on the uh, Over and Stumps podcast is none other than Tasmanian Tigers batsman, Charlie Wakem. Charlie, thanks for taking some time to have a chat with us. No worries. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Good to be here. Uh, very good. Very good. But we'll, we'll start this with this week's Shield game. Uh, obviously, it looked like a very tough pitch to try and get a result on over in Karen Rolton Oval in Adelaide. Um, but a solid start for your season, nonetheless, making 50 in the first inning. How reassuring was it to reach that mark to, to start the year? Yeah, uh, um, yeah, it's obviously good to, to get myself in. As you said, it was a pretty uh, flat track and nice for the batters. So um, I was able to to be able to get myself in the first things, and it's always a bit of a relief. You know, we trained for, I'll send the ball well. And um, 
just disappointed I couldn't cash in and, and go and get a big one. On the, on the outside looking in, it, it seemed like it seemed like the ball was coming on um, very well quite early. The new the newer ball was was a lot easier to see and, and scoring a bit freer. But but after that, when it sort of died down, it was sort of more of a spinner's pitch. Is, is that how it sort of played out? Do you think? Definitely. Well, yeah, I even think it, it was probably more so yeah, in the third and fourth day when the spin came into it. But the, the foot marks weren't really in a great spot for, um, well, I suppose for the left-handers, they were ball spinning back in. But for the right-handers, they weren't in play as much. Um, yeah, the new ball for the quicks was a, a, usually a good time to bowl, but it was almost the opposite. It was almost easier to score. The ball was coming on a little bit nicer and a bit harder. So um, we were certainly probably looking to score runs when the ball was harder, um, that was probably our plan. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, that's sort of how it showed. Um, obviously, particularly in the second innings where uh, Carl Jung and Tim Ward really played freer, uh, sort of to close out day three. Um, just on the state of pitches at the moment, though, there's been a lot of conjecture, um, particularly at the start of the season, that they are quite hard, quite batter-friendly, and it's probably not producing the... The greater longer, the greatest longer form results in terms of our national side. Um, you're a batsman in the been a batsman in the competition for quite a few years now. Um, what do you sort of, what's your sort of take on, on that sort of debate? Yeah, I, I just think I, th- I think they kind of need to just try and be a happy medium. I think it's good that there's different conditions all around the country, um, and it exposes batters and bowlers um, to having to play different styles and different strategies, but. You know, any time I suppose there's a, a wicket where there was just obvious um, advantage to the batter, it's probably, yeah, look, it's not ideal. I understand it's not great for, to, to watch especially, but um, like, yeah, I, I think, you know, we have it down in Bel Reeve, almost the opposite. Um, day one and day two can be really hard work. Then when it gets hard, it actually... Um, it can become really nice to bat on. And, and I've seen some big scores get chased down in four, 350 or 400 runs get chased down. So um, I just think as long as there's different conditions around the country, but they're sort of within a, a threshold bad amble, um, that's probably what I, I, I'd have to say on it. Yeah. No, I mean, that's it completely... That makes sense. And the, the way it sort of played out uh, over this week um, is... Evidence of that. I mean, you've got a, a quality swing bowler like Sam Rainbow who just, you know, couldn't get anything out of the deck, even though he's sort of moving it both ways. And yeah, the batsmen are just sort of playing him with ease. Um, but just sort of to, to change track a little bit, um, my, my take from the game was it was actually a pretty mature performance by Tasmania against, you know, a championship winning side by Queensland. You know, you've got a young, a young squad, obviously a number of outs at the moment, and not actually got a head coach. Um, although you've got a couple of advisors like Ali DeWinter, Greg Shepard, those sort of guys. Um, mm-hmm. What was the feeling yep. like amongst the squad after the game against Queensland? Well, the first two, two and a half, or probably three days, we were really positive and upbeat. And then even after day four, looking at it as a whole, it was just, you know, it, we, we did what we, we set out to sort of do in terms of our process um, in, in trying to bat long. Um, unfortunately, we obviously couldn't take the wickets, but... It's a, it's a great step in the right direction. we got young guys. Tim Ward coming in his second game and having the game he did was is um, really promising. Um, Silky down, down finding a new spot down the lower order to get 100 at, at a pretty good rate when scoring was a little bit slower than most of the game. Um, and then Bo being his first game of, of captaining the Shield team, it's 
Um, like you said, it is a younger side. So, you know, there's certainly a lot of positives for us to take out of it. Um, and obviously, yeah, lots of areas we, we want to improve. Um, but, you know, we, we are pushing towards, we, we are pushing towards uh, something sort of building. I think we, we, we've talked about it all through the preseason. We've got guys like Riley Meredith, Jackson Bird, Wadey. They're all sort of out of the team, even Nathan Ellis. So we're down a few troops, but we're sort of still able to, to, to put good performances out there and hopefully that'll come around for some wins. Um, previous years, we've probably let games early in the season slip and we've lost games and given teams a leg up straight away. So we sort of didn't want to make that mistake again. Um, and yeah, you know, you, you just got to win sort of two or three early, games early on in the year and you're right up around that shield final spot. Yeah, you've definitely got to bank them early. Um, obviously, we sort of saw Tasmania come home with a bit of a wet sail last year, obviously. The, uh, the win over New South Wales and Bell Reeve was testament to that. Um, that was a side for the Blues, chock full of test stars. So uh, what you're saying makes complete sense. Um, just sort of on the makeup of the side, um, obviously, like we just touched on, well, I just alluded to before, you know, no head coach at the moment, but you've got Ali DeWinter and Greg Shepard acting as advisors. And obviously, you've got a lot of experienced guys around the setup. Um, how's that sort of been as one of the sort of the senior members of the squad having you know, no official head coach and sort of going about your business trying to get away to a good start for the year. Yeah, I think it's still important to note that we had Jeff Vaughan for a considerable amount of the preseason and yeah. he's sort of been there for the last oh, four or five years. Um, so not a whole lot to change. When Ali came in, he really wanted to just keep keep going what we had sort of already worked in, in the pipeline. So he didn't want to rock the boat and he hasn't. He's just sort of helped um, get us all into a comfortable position to try and perform. Um, and then you add someone like Greg Shippard in who's just sort of been observing and then um, adding his two cents in. It's It's been really eye-opening to see his take on the game. Um, he's one of those guys that when he speaks, everyone sort of shuts up and listens. Um, so it's been really awesome having him around. He's had a lot of success with lots of different teams um, in all formats. So, he, he you know, he knows, he knows how to win. Um, and he, I think he's got a bit of a, a close affinity for Tassie from his day, uh, from his days here a few, a few years ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're still going through the process of finding the head coach. It's not a big issue in our change room. We've got so many experienced guys with Siddle, Bird, um, Wadey, Payne. So, you know, there's there's lots of knowledge in, in our change room. Um, it's more just trying to take that out uh, onto the field and, and perform. Yeah, it, it almost seems like, um, you know, you, you know, like you say with Tim Payne and, and Peter Siddle, like two very experienced campaigners there, it's almost like you've got a couple of on-field coaches in that sense anyway. So, I mean, yeah, guys that are going to drive standards that have done it for the national side are going to be worth their weight in gold on the field for, for a state side trying to find their way, I guess. Um, look, just on a personal level for you, um, you've been amongst the Tassie side for a number of years now, obviously. Um and from the outside looking in, you definitely strike me as a player that is willing to do whatever the team needs. Um, and I saw that firsthand last season. I went down and watched a, a day at Bell Reeve against New South Wales in that game that I just mentioned. And obviously that, that New South Wales attack was following absolute thunderbolts. Um, Mitchell Stark was finally the fastest I've ever seen um, on, a, on a pretty green deck. Um, so how, how do you feel your role has sort of emerged and changed over time with, with the Tigers and now you sort of move into the senior members of the squad? Um, yeah, it's, it's a funny question because I, I, I actually probably came into the system as more of a white ball player. Um, 
I debuted in the one in the one day team and and um, it took me a while to actually get into the shield team. But it's sort of now where I I, I think I, my game plan is a lot simpler in red ball cricket. So I try and occupy the crease. I try and um, make my wicket really tough to to get out. So um, yeah, there's certainly little things that I've been working on this year in my setup, my, my pre-movement and all that sort of stuff to try and get me into a position um, where I feel like I can react to any ball that comes down. Um, but, yeah, my game plan is pretty, it's trying to focus on on the next ball. Obviously, you, you, the plan for the team this week just gone was to occupy the crease and bat out for the draw, but, I mean, you, you did face 60 balls for your three runs and made it really hard to, to take that next wicket, so... Um, yeah. yeah, what you're saying is is completely um, evident in your game. Um, just sort of moving forward to this Friday, obviously it's the first one-day game of the year. Um, yep. how, how has the preparation been for the format? And albeit it's, it's a different format, uh, you know, to, to red ball cricket, but do you take any confidence away from such a good performance against the, the reigning Shield champion? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, especially the batting group, like I said, the same, we're all sort of, put a, a score on the board, seeing the ball well. Um, and I think with batting, it's, you know, batting in red ball and white ball, it's the only thing that changes is your tactics. So um, the physical side of it's pretty good for, for the batting group. Um, and the boys in the bowling, yeah, it's, it's been pretty um, uh, competitive in the nets with some of their white ball sessions, uh, like trying to outdo everyone with their different solo balls and Yorkers and all that sort of stuff. So, um no, I think we're in a good position. Um, we had some success at the Wacker last year in the in the Shield game, um, and hopefully, yeah, we can we can put a, a good white ball performance on the board first up. Yeah, definitely. Fingers crossed. Um, just just to wrap up, like like you sort of said before, obviously you came into the side first as a white ball player, but it's really been your red ball game that has um has really taken over in terms of your career. Um, but. Will we see you in the 11 this week in Perth? And more generally, what are your goals in terms of white ball career for this season coming forward? Um, don't have an answer for you for the first one. Not sure. Okay. I have to sort of speak to the skipper and the coach. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, look, obviously I want to play every game I can for Tassie. Um, Any time you get an opportunity to play shield cricket or one-day cricket is, is what I'm looking for and a chance to showcase my skills and, and win games ultimately for Tassie. So... Um, yeah, that's it's pretty, pretty, pretty sort of simple what, what I want to do and want to achieve. But um, I wish I had a crystal ball, I could tell you. But it sort of, <laughs> sort of depends on the makeup of the side and, and what they want to go with. No, very good. Um, look, that, that's where I'll leave it today, mate. Um, and, and all the best for the, for the upcoming season, mate. Uh, as a Tigers fan, I really look forward to, to watching along and, and hopefully celebrating a few more wins. So, yeah, all the best. I'll awesome. let you get to training. So, thanks, Liam. Good on you. No worries. Thank you, mate. It's the Over and Stumps Cricket Podcast. Thank you to Liam and to Charlie Wakeham for a bit of a chat there. It's very, very interesting what's going on in Tasmania at the moment, obviously still without a coach at the moment, but after a performance like that, they're slowly growing and you can understand why they'd hold on for the draw, particularly against a side like Queensland who have um, been on a bit of a tear in recent years, winning um, Shield titles. Um it's a, it's a very interesting um, tournament at the moment, the Shield season. They've only had a couple of completed games and they're looking to get more games in. It just seems like a bit of a logistical nightmare, particularly when you're trying to plan the Usher summer as well. And 
to you're going to have to get cricket into some of these Australian guys too. It's um it's a very interesting set of curveballs that um cricket Australia have to play with. Yeah, that's right. And I think cricket Australia made a mistake by not going to a to a hub earlier on uh, in the season like they did last year. It's it's pretty clear now that the the hub's probably going to be the way to go in Adelaide for the next next few few months at least. So yeah, I think the Cricket Australia were trying to do the right thing by giving everyone home games and hopefully moving it around. But that's obviously not the way to go. And yeah, it was, it was a great effort by Tasmania the other day to to get that draw. They're obviously a, a young side with a with a new captain in Bo Webster, a friend of the show. So yeah, interesting. It's an interesting season. And then I think the, the Shield is um hopefully we get some wins later in the season and not just not just these draws though. Well, I was gonna ask you, Rory, you probably look at the shield a bit closer than most of us if they are going to move to a hub in um adelaide does it actually benefit the australian players if they play a lot of the shield cricket on the karen rolton highway um as we've seen a lot of tons um made by batters on that ground already it's been a bit of um fill your boots the first couple of games of the shield is that actually beneficial yeah no i think that's an interesting one so there's there's kind of two schools of thought here. There's one that if you play it on roads, those Australian players, they're going to get a lot of confidence from scoring big runs, right? So Travis had smashed some runs the other day, 150-odd, and he's going to get confidence from that going into the ashes. So that's one school of thought. And then the other, of course, is you're playing on roads, the technique's not getting tested, and, you know, it's not. It's probably not great for preparation. So I think there's a mixture of, mixture of two things there. It depends on what you think is more important, that confidence or you know, what skill set. And sure, Nathan Lyon spoke during the week last week. They're still none the wiser New South Wales as to when they're going to get on the park, even though the goat's absolutely itching to get out and bowl in a game. Sounds like they're going to have a couple of games against Victoria in quick succession because, well, they can't really get let into any other state at the moment considering where they're from. Um, good preparation, bad preparation. What's your take on playing the same opposition twice? Uh, look, I think in the one series, if you're doing what they've currently done with the other fixtures where you're following up the Shield game quickly with a Marsh Cup one-day game, I mean, it would jolt you around a little bit having to go, you know, from four-day to white ball cricket pretty quickly. But, I mean, what player isn't used to that nowadays in this in the, the last five years in that environment? Um, but, I mean, I think it's the uncertainty is probably more the issue there where, you know, you don't really have that set date where you can really prepare and escalate in that week before so that you are raring to go. Um, and I think that's probably the main problem is the uncertainty. And, I mean, I just hope that they Cricket Australia quickly work to a solution because I don't think you can get a season done if you're going to be chopping and changing what happens and hoping to play, but then, you know, teams pull out the day before. I think... If it's possible now, they need to work out, you know, a different alternative because leading into an Ashes series, you want to have a bit of stability and, you know, able to know that you've got enough cricket under your belt. Where if you can't get that, then it's sort of like, well, you know, is it really the right way to go into an Ashes series? Yeah, exactly right. Hopefully, they can get all the volume in, particularly to the players that are back in Australia, like Manus, maybe Usman Khawaja, Cameron Green, and even Nathan Lyon, just get some 
overs into the legs and runs in the legs. Um, and let's hope Manus, is, um, Manus tones down as appealing. I think everyone saw that seller appeal in the shield, which was, a, I, think he, I think he got fined from um, Cricket Australia for um, excessive appealing. So quickly from there, because we are running out of time, onto the T20 World Cup. All the teams have assembled in the UAE. Sean, you've done a few um, press sessions with a number of the Australian players and it's going to be interesting. A lot of the discussion's been around the early makeup of the Australian team. Mitch Marsh, is he going to bat at three? Is Matthew Wade going to be in the squad, in the team? Who's going to be the wicketkeeper? How are they going to use Glenn Maxwell? What, the, what are the bowling combinations going to be? Early on, and we've They've obviously got a couple of warm-up games against New Zealand and India coming up before their first game against South Africa. How do you think they're going to look to do it? What's the word been around the Australian camp? I mean, what I've got so far from it is, first of all, Mitch Marsh came out and said he wasn't sure whether he was going to play or not, but if he was going to play, it's going to be in that number three spot, which he's excelled in in the past year and really made some strides in, which made me happy to hear. I think that's the right way to go about it is someone who's in form and has won matches for your country in the past year and has done those hard yards, deserves that chance. And it's where he bats best in 2020 cricket. So I feel like he's going to start there probably, I mean, Finch and Warner, you're hard to overlook at the start until someone like maybe a Warner fails with his recent track record in the IPL. Um, but I think there you might see someone like a Smith going at four just because he can sling in sort of anywhere in that top five and do something valuable. But from there, you can't let Maxwell go any lower than five. So he's one that just makes me think, well, you know, Maxwell, I hope they're looking to really maximise his talent put together the last couple of years. Um, and from there, I, I'm starting to get the feeling that Inglis is going to get a go at six as a keeper. I get the feeling that because he's worked on being more versatile in that middle order, he's going to get that go ahead of a Wade who's probably more pigeonholed as an opener. So I'm starting to get that feeling that in the batting, Inglis is the way to go and with the keeping. But with the bowling, I mean, Agar, Ashton Agar said yesterday that he could easily see all three spinners in the squad playing, which I think probably not going to happen early doors. I think Agar and Zampa are going to be the leading two as they have been again for the past year in the same situation as Marsh. You can't just let what they've put together go. Um, but then from there, you know, you've got a lot of fast bowling talent and they're going to go to the reliable few in a Cummins or a Stark or a Hazelwood. I mean, it probably allows them to rotate through and work out what's best from there. Yeah, that's right. And I think that that uh that batting lineup's kind of kind of got the biggest questions around it, doesn't it? Whether they're gonna go with, as you said, Marsh at three or or maybe even Steve Smith at three. And and yeah, that weight, the weight and English battle is definitely one to keep an eye on. I think English will get a go in those warm-up matches just because Australia the Australian team hasn't seen him at all yet. So I think they need to to give him a go, see where he's at, if he's still carrying that form through from the English summer. And yeah, I think he could definitely he could definitely play a big role in that middle order for Australia. In terms of the bowling, there we've got yeah, as you said, Stark and Hazelwood and and Cummins. I think Stark and uh, Stark and Cummins will definitely start. Hazelwood hasn't had the greatest IPL. Um, he hasn't yeah, just hasn't taken a lot of wickets, and I'm not too sure about that call about the three spinners all playing at the same time from um, from Ashton Agar. The, those uh, UAE pitches weren't spinning as much as as a lot of people thought they were going to through the IPL, so. Yeah, I'm not sure. It'll definitely be a battle between Hazelwood and probably Kane Richardson for that for that third seamer position. 
definitely. And I mean, I think it's more fanciful thinking from Agar, probably from that spin fraternity wanting them all to be there if possible. But I think you have to back in probably Agar's batting with that if you're going to have, you know, Cummins, Stark and Hazelwood. It just makes me wonder if you've got someone like a Marsh, Mitch Marsh in the team at three and a Maxwell, does it enable that you only play those two frontline pace bowlers and the two spinners and then you get more batting depth but you still have six bowlers who you know are capable of making a difference in 2020 cricket I think that's why personally I think Marsh should be at three just I think he offers a lot and his form dictates that he should get that first crack so I mean it's hard to know what Australia going to do and I hope they give Inglis and Marsh that go in the warm-up matches so they can prove themselves because I think they're the two who can make a difference and maybe disturb the status quo of Australia's form in 2020 cricket, which hasn't been that flash, especially at World Cup level. I think it's key to have a bit of point of difference because so far the older brigade that they've still got playing, you need to freshen up a bit because it hasn't worked in tournaments past. Yeah, that's right. And I think the good news for, for Martin English there is that Justin Lang is the coach and he loves to play WA players, so... And they'll definitely be in that first 11. Maybe not the first 11, but I'm sure we'll definitely see them. I think the biggest thing for me, particularly leading into this T20 World Cup for Australia, is just do not waste Glenn Maxwell with the form he's been in for Royal Challengers Bangalore and what he can do for Australia and what he has shown he is able to do. I'm sure he's going to have a really big say in proceedings this World Cup for Australia's chances. It's a real big opportunity for him and, who knows what might come to pass later down the road. So we'll do a proper T20 World Cup preview next week. We'll go fully in depth and outlining the strengths and weaknesses of most teams. But right now, we've just got a bit more time for some of these. So some really, really quick singles to finish off today's show. Sean, you've got the new ball. We've spoken about this before, but is every match of the Sheffield Shield season going to be a draw? I like the opportunity, first of all. I'd like to thank you for that, Jono. Um, but I think, look, if it's going to be played on the Karen Rolton Highway, as we talked about, I think majority of them are going to be just because most states have enough batting talent to see it out. Even in South Australia, is going to be able to with the likes of Head and Carey. So I'm going to say no, there's going to be an odd result there if a bit of rain falls and maybe adds the slightest tinge of green to the baked yellow and brown of the oval pitch. But I think majority of them are going to be a draw and it's going to be a problem. And I mean, onto that, looking at domestic cricket, I think we're all more excited about the WBBL in terms of results. Rory, do you have a certain player that you think we should all watch out for in the upcoming tournament? Yeah, as I said earlier, I think Darcy Brown's going to have a massive season. And, yeah, she's definitely one to keep an eye, an eye out for. That pace is is, uh, is that level of pace is very new in um, women's cricket. So, yeah, I think she's going to take a, a ton of wickets and maybe break the record for the most wickets in the WBBL season. On to Jono now. Okay, so before we get to the World Cup, we're going to see the Associate Nations battle it out to see who can get through to the proper World Cup, I guess you could call it. Which of the Associate Nations do you think could make it through to the World Cup. You sort of got me there. Um, I think I've probably seen the most out of Nepal um, with um, Sandeep and they've actually played in a, I think they played in the 20, 
16 um, tournament, they made it through the qualifying. So they're gonna they're gonna be my pick with um Sandeep Lemonchani to be um a really big um participant. But I have noted that Namibia is in their first World Cup until since 2003, um that 2003 50 50 over World Cup in South Africa. So it'd be nice to see them come through and uh, who knows potentially surprise someone um rory um new tournament new summer new kits which nation is the best looking jersey at the at this t20 world cup yeah i think again we have to look to the associate nations they don't have the the weight of history that dictates what colors they have to wear and i think the the two best kits that i've seen so far have been scotland they've got a an excellent purple kit that have come, has come out uh, get behind that one it looks very good but for me the number one is is png Papua new guinea they've got a, a beautiful design it's a yellow they're nicknamed the barramundis chad sayers is a coach there you can't get much better than that can you You've got to get behind png is um david mundy an assistant coach um the freeman or great david barramundi <laughs> that's that's horrific jonathan <laughs> That's I'm, I'm sorry to our international audience who's got no idea who David Mundy is. Oh man, okay. could be a mascot. <laughs> could, could be. Could, might be able to get a game actually. Uh, all right, uh, Sean, one for you. Uh, is Elise Perry Australia's greatest ever woman cricketer? I think she probably has to be around now. I think, she, especially if she keeps tracking the way she is in Test match batting, I think. If she's not already, I think she's going to be very close to it, especially by the end of her career, regardless of if you put a red line through her and prevent her from bowling, because we know the power you hold from Canberra. Um, I think even if you do that, her banning's going to get her over the line. And, I mean, as we're talking of quality all-rounders, one that I hope, Rory, you're not going to put a put a line through. I'm going to, I'm going to flick it to Jono, but... Cameron Green, how far do you reckon he could actually hit a cricket ball if he put all of those lanky muscles into it? Well, there's a video we shared on our socials this week of him playing grade cricket. And the only thing we we put in the post was just have a listen to this. And the crisp sound of the ball going off his cricket bat. And um, I think it's still travelling from that ground in, um, out of, in outer Perth. Um, so I'm going to say very far and he might be able to clear 130 meters um particularly on some of those smaller grounds so i'm really looking forward to see him um i like jack leach to bowl to cameron green actually in the um asher series i think that could be very fun lots of catching practice for the crowd um now sean um Celebrity MasterChef started in Australia. It's back on our TV screens for a little fun whiz-bang series. Um, great show. Um, plenty of sports stars on it. Um, plenty of radio presenters on. Which current day cricketer wouldn't look out of place in the MasterChef kitchen? I like you flicked it to me. So I don't know if you remember, but the one time I came on last year, I think I suggested Rory Burns would cook snails well and a bit of escargot. Um I'm just, I'm just trying to think. I'm thinking more of an Australian flavour. I'm trying to think of who would cook well. I think someone like Manus would spill the food everywhere. So I don't know if he would be valuable. I think he'd need an apron and maybe a bib. Um, I think there'd be a lot going everywhere. Um, let me think. I mean, I think I would love to be wined and dined by Paddy Cummins, but I don't know if that's necessarily the food. I think he would cook pretty well, but it's pretty hard. I mean, I think I'm, if I'm looking to more ones, 
I wouldn't want in the kitchen. I think a Nathan Lyon wouldn't wouldn't give you much. Um, but and a Cameron Green's probably a bit young. I think he's still got parents cooking for him. He just has that look. I mean, at the end of the day, I think someone like a Joe Burns, I think I'd like. I think he'd cut to the chase and cook you a good meal without too much fanfare. Um, that's probably personally more my taste, but I don't know what you guys think. But, yeah, I think Joe Burns would be a good one in the kitchen. Um, same as like a Matty Renshaw. I'm going the Queensland flavour. I think they've got something good going for him. You think they might be out, do you think they might get some help from the Queensland's favourite Roy Simons up in Townsville to get some barramundi? I, I think so. I think, you know, I don't know if we'll get the David Barramundi, but, you know, you're going to get some good Barramundi up there. Same with Matthew Hayden, renowned chef. So there's a there's a fair bit going on up in Queensland. So I'll go to them. Um, I mean, I think this is going to be an open one to both of you. I want Rory to answer first because I think you'll have a great insight. But out of the current Southern Stars squad, is there any of them you'd least like to take on a, in a dance battle? Least like so, who am I going to lose to? I guess is the is the biggest question. Well, I've uh, seen Rory dance, so he'll lose to everyone. Yeah, no, that's probably that's that's very fair. That's very fair. Um, I think Alyssa Healy is probably the most fun, most fun player in that in that squad, and yeah, I think she she'd carve it up on the dance floor. Of course, we saw all the girls dancing at the end of the the twenty twenty World Cup to Kate, with Katie Perry. So yeah, I think Alyssa Healy is the one to go. Who would you go with, Jono? Yeah, I. And there's a cup. There's a couple that would be like you'd really be like putting yourself up against like death if you were to go against them. Sophie Molyneux, definitely one. And we spoke about her off the top of the show. Maitland Brown, just it, it, I don't I don't know if you guys saw, but in the rain break, getting on the headset on TV, singing and dancing to Fleetwood Mac, um, pr- pretty much on command, which it is pretty impressive um yeah very very good we like maitland and we like her taste of music very talented girl and hopefully she gets on the park and takes lots of wickets for the sydney Sixers. and sean who do you who do you, who, do you, who do you think you could beat in a dance contest i'm glad you asked because i was just going to say i think someone like a nicola carey i would wipe the floor with i think she's a bit too serious i think i'd have someone like her covered i think if it was someone like a molly strano i'd be in trouble but for someone like her, or even, I mean, Rachel Haynes looks like she had fun, but I don't know if she'd have the moves. Um, I think I'd have her covered technically, but not definitely in the actual enjoyment of it and the passion. I think we'd be pretty level there. Even in Lise Perry, I think too many hamstring injuries. She probably can't do what she could five, ten years ago. So I might get her at the swan song of her career. And, I mean, Captain Grumps, Meg Lanning, I think, at the end of the day, I think I'd manage to get through. You need to get out and about more, Sean. The isolation's doing some crazy things to you. Just podding everyone. I've been practicing. That's the biggest takeaway from this week, guys, is Sean really rates his dancing. I think we should get a video up on Twitter. What do you reckon? Oh, well, definitely, definitely, definitely we'll be getting that up. We'll be digging something out of the archives. Boys, I think that's all we've got time for today. It's been another fantastic show discussing everything in the world of cricket. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Over and Stumps. You can read all the work that we do on www.theinnersanctum.com.au. We'll be sharing all our WBBL season previews before the season gets underway. All the team at the Inner Sanctum done some fantastic work getting those up and going don't forget to find us on social media give us a like share and subscribe don't forget to tell your mates about this um growing cricket podcast and community that we've got we're really looking forward to sharing the summer of cricket with you boys thanks so much for joining me
Cheers, Jono. Great week Good again. Time, Great week. Sean, go get some fresh air. And from, from now, that is over and stumps.